but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaan Bound features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Philip Wells, and this is episode number 139. We begin our time together this week with God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 42, verses 10 to 15. Let's read 10 and 11 first. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, after all, the Lord gives back to Job everything that the devil took away. The author tells us that the Lord doubled what Job had before. The phrase restored his fortunes challenged even the men who copied the book letter by letter. Slight changes in the Hebrew give us either restored him completely, restored his fortunes, or even restored him from captivity. Now, none of these would be inappropriate here, and we can't fault the translation for finally choosing a meaning and publishing it. We understand that God gave Job his health, his money, his animals, even damaged relationships were restored to Job. We see for the only time in the book that Job had brothers and sisters who now amble back into his life as if they were away when he was down and only now have learned of his troubles, but perhaps their guilt over not helping him when he needed it is seen in their unnecessary gifts of silver and jewelry. Job shows that he didn't hold a grudge against anybody who stayed away during his troubles by eating with them, a gesture and sign of friendship and of fellowship. Verses 12 to 15. The Lord blessed the latter part part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women and as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. Before his troubles, Job had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. Now all of those numbers are exactly doubled. The Lord gave him exactly twice as much as he had before. The Lord also blessed Job with more children. Now here's a a trivial puzzle for us. We see men having children later in in life throughout the Old Testament. But was Job's wife young enough to bear 14 children in all? Seven of them died as adults and seven were born after Job's restoration. We are never shown that Job had any more than one wife. In fact, the three times in which she is mentioned, she is clearly the only wife that Job has in Job chapter 2, chapter 19, and Job chapter 31. Either she was still young enough to continue bearing children, or else her death, and perhaps Job's marriage to another woman, is not recorded in the book. The 
daughter's names aren't always translated in footnotes. Jemima means turtle dove. Keziah means cinnamon. Variations on both of these names can be found in almost any culture. Now, the third daughter, Karen Hapuk, means uh, <laughs> a, a, a stick or horn of antimony paint. Antimony or antimony was used as an eye makeup. Egyptian men and women also ringed their eyes with black antimony markings in the shape of the eye of Horus. It's like a ring with things sticking out the bottom to prevent squinting in the desert sun, the same way baseball players put a black smudge under their eyes today. Job's daughters are elevated to special status. Under the usual practice in ancient times, they would not have been given any inheritance from Job unless there were no sons at all. But we see that Job did give them a share in his inheritance along with their brothers. This wasn't done for any legal or religious reason. Job did it because he loved them and treasured them. He had learned how precious children are, and this was a way of showing it. God wants us to understand that every gift he gives to us is really something he lends us. Material gifts are just something we use for a while while we're here. After we're gone, they all belong to somebody else anyway. But our children are a special gift. We're privileged to care for them. That care doesn't stop when they're grown. After all, our children are the only gifts from God that we are able to take with us into heaven. Job's children, his health and his fortunes were not restored to him because Job's repentance was sincere enough or because God felt guilty about letting the devil take him away or because Job's suffering had been so spectacular. Job's family and health were restored because God loved Job. And God had a plan for Job to raise those new children and to use that new health and wealth in his service. Job praised God before everything was restored. And we need to keep that in mind. God doesn't owe anything to any of us. We owe him our worship and praise. What a blessing it is to be cared for by God. Psalm 115 says, May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. And now we have Comfort, Comfort, All My People, a song by Chris Dreisbach from his latest CD titled Hymns with Friends. All that well deserved 
Now we have a devotion from 1 Peter. This devotion was written by Pastor Mark Falk and is read by Philip Wells. 1 Peter 3, verse 13 through 16. Always be prepared, even in a hostile world. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When I reflect on the way it was in the first century of the church, how often the Apostle Paul was chased out of towns, beaten, imprisoned, abused, how many of the disciples met a martyr's death, how many of Peter's readers may have suffered at the hands of civil authorities whose God-given role is to protect the innocent. I am forced simply to accept these verses, even though they don't seem to reflect the reality, not in my mind. But then, perhaps the answer is in Paul's confidence that everything would work out for his deliverance, whether freedom and life or imprisonment and death. In general, there is safety in doing good. When we serve others in Christian love, obey the laws of our land in which we live, even when we find the laws to be burdensome, unfair, or foolish, we honor the name of God in the world. This is what we pray for in the first petition, Hallowed be thy name in us, in what we say and what we do. But there is an even if in these words of Peter. Suffering for doing right happened then, and it can still happen now. When that happens, we are encouraged not to fear what they fear. Easily said, not always easily done. My fears and anxieties are part of my sinful nature. The stronger that nature, the weaker my life of faith, the more I fear. 
Perfect love casts out all fear. Yes, I know, but my love is never imperfect. God's love is, however, anything but imperfect. Once again, as always, the apostle points us to Christ. You know what he has done for you. You know that his blood cleanses you from sin. You know that he sits at God's right hand and turns everything to your good. Set him aside as Lord. Trust that all things work out in connection with him. Obey him with all your heart. Fight against unbelief and fear and selfishness. This world is still hostile to Christ, the real Christ. And it is hostile to those who condemn sin and proclaim the faith in Christ that is the only way to heaven. God, give us strength to keep your name holy in the word, so that in the end, those who accuse God's children will have to hang their heads in shame. It is not one of the things we can expect on Judgment Day, that Jesus will set us up on a pedestal purchased with his blood and expose the slander of those who did not believe that we were children of the eternal God. Do not expect this world to be a true friend of Christ. Do expect God's grace and encouragement as you strive to live for him in the midst of hostility and remember the glory only comes after the cross. Next, we join Pastor Tom Barthel with a message from Beard133.com. Talking with Edith, that's not her real name, is always a treat. She's lived nearly 10 decades and loves to share her stories. One story, which is similar to many others in her generation, deals with World War II and her wedding day. Like many young couples of her time, she didn't have a wedding celebration. No special invite cards, no rental hall, no dance, DJ, or drinks. She and her fiancé just got married. Then, he was off to serve overseas in the military. Another woman, Margot, once again not her real name, shared how she and her fiancé had only a few brief days in which she could ride a train to town, which he could get on a train, ride to town, get married, and make it back to the coast in time to join his fellow troops heading to Europe. A quick letter of correspondence, a short private ceremony, and a lifelong marriage. It's a common story of those now approaching 100 years of age. My grandparents of the same generation shared a similar story. The end result for each of these couples was the same. They were married as long as both lived. What makes marriages last? Edith said this, People are focusing on the wrong thing. Edith didn't have the chance to plan a celebration. I'm sure she would have wanted to do something more if she could have. Likewise, I'm sure the way that Margot speaks of her experience that she missed being able to hold a traditional wedding celebration. But that didn't make any difference in the end. Neither did the decades and the challenges that followed. They remained lovingly together. Their marriages stuck. I found that all had some advice to offer. My grandpa's advice when asked how they stayed together so long was, just keep breathing. If he could answer something with a good joke, he usually would. There was no question about the breaking of the marriage. It was simply a matter of how long he could live in order to keep loving my grandma. Edith said this, people are focused on the wrong thing. Should they be focusing on the wedding or on their marriage? It seems like it's all backwards today. She doesn't often complain, but she did lament the brokenness and the ruin caused by sin in so many homes today. What does it all boil down to? According to Edith, it's priorities. 
Her marriage lasted not because she and her husband lacked sinful natures, which we all have. It wasn't because they were better off or because there was a stronger social taboo against divorce. It lasted because it was a priority. The world is at war and will be oceans apart, they could have said. And yet their response was, we're getting married anyways. And we will love each other deeply in spite of that. See the priority? Ultimately, having a priority won't make a marriage last unless God is the priority. I'm not aiming to point blame if your family is broken. I'm not saying if you're a better person, your marriage has turned out better than someone else's. Nor am I trying to imply the world or the people in it were better 80 years ago. Sin ruins many good things, including a marriage. This ruin brings pain and hurt, which I can't even begin to imagine. Seemingly, mutual divorces cause mutual heartache. And I understand that marital faithfulness has much more to do with how you love your spouse each moment and less to do with how you stay technically married. That's why making God a priority is the only way to make a marriage last, not just superficially. His priority was to love his bride, the church. The world is at war with God. Heaven and earth are worlds apart. And yet he responded with, I will wed my bride anyway, and I will love her deeply. For her I'll leave heaven and I'll suffer death. The God of love, who made us, has brought us into a loving union which sin cannot destroy. His bride is holy forever. You and I and all who trust in Jesus are in a marriage that will last. The marriage of an awesome Savior God and His beautiful church. He's made you and loving you His top priority no matter the challenges He faces. Edith's marriage stuck beside, despite the sin it encountered. Jesus washed that away. Margot could forgive and be forgiven when she began to drift apart from her husband just as Jesus does for his bride, forgiving each hour. Scripture speaks of marriage as a blessing from God and a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. It reflects the love of Christ in his church. It shares the priority. Just keep breathing. We end our time together this week with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel by the Lutheran Seely Orchestra. This is the first chance we've had to share their Christmas CD with you. Coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6.
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, verse 14. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. You have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode 138. This podcast was first shared in December of 2018. We'd like to thank all the people who contributed to this episode. 
Pastor Timothy Smith is a pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in New Ulm, Minnesota. He writes God's Word for You as a daily email devotion. You can sign up to receive those emails at splnewalm.org. Chris Dreisbach can be found at chrisdreisbach.com, where there are links to all of his CDs, including this latest one, Hams with Friends. Beard133.com is where you can find devotions by Pastor Tom Barthel, many of which are aimed at Christian fatherhood in this world. The Lutheran Seely Orchestra's Christmas CD, Light That Shines in Dark, is available as a digital download. You can find links at joeyshuman.com. That's J-O-E-Y-S-C-H-U-M-A-N-N.com. Thank you for listening. May God bless your holiday season.